Welcome to Magic Numbers. We're on episode 18, which is the first episode of the 2022. And today I'm going to be talking about the art of forcing. Uh, it's going to be all about how to use data to find archetypes that you can force, uh, how to predict color pair depth with ALSA, and how to find underdrafted archetypes and how to build around the cards that will be more available to you than the others. Then I'm going to give you a couple of examples of my analysis for the uh, Crimson Vow Quick Draft, and I'm going to also tell you why Quick Draft is the better thing. And today, for the first time, we're going to have a practical session. So basically, at the end of the presentation, we are going to try to force a draft in in, in the Quick Draft. So uh, and we'll see how it goes. Maybe it will go absolutely terrible, and you will learn that all that I was talking about is uh, complete bullshit. Maybe it will just do uh, about fine. But we'll try to determine the plan before we start the draft and try to stick to the plan during the draft and see how it gets us. It's not always like 100% going to work, but it, I think that it's going to work uh, sufficiently enough for you to, uh, to basically try to use it yourself uh, at some stage when you want to quickly rank up and you are short on gems and just want to do several quick drafts. All right, without further ado. And this is a preamble that um, I... So basically, I start every presentation with the preamble just to give people time to come in and uh, get comfortable. And it's my sort of soapboxy moment. And this one is a conglomerate of thoughts of several content creators I've been following. One of them is being Dafor. Um, I'd like to give him a special mention because uh, quite a lot of this... Um, so yesterday, he put a, a thread on Twitter that was talking about forcing archetypes, which was not an inspiration for this episode as I was already finished with it by that time, but it really well complemented uh, my thoughts and I, and I uh, you know, incorporated some of his thoughts, but I want to give credit and not just steal them. But <clears throat> when you play drafts, the best drafts are the ones where you first pick something and then you smooth sail uh, throughout the whole draft with a consistent plan Third link is good because it makes you more flexible and it uh, allows you to uh, position yourself well in drafts that don't go according to the initial plan. But I think that your initial plan in every single draft should be, I'm going to stick with my first pick. And if that's possible, I'm going to do it. If that's not possible and if the format is tricky, you have to start drafting the hard way. And that's going to be very, very often the case. But in some cases, you're going to first pick and then second pick is exactly the perfect card you need. Third pick is exactly the perfect card you need. Then you know that your colors are open slowly and, and, and it goes smoothly. And these are the drafts that you're going to trophy more frequently than the ones when you draft hard, um, uh, the hard way. Drafting the hard way being staying open for a long time and looking for an open lane. But in all fairness, it will increase your win rate to do so because not in every draft you will be capable of drafting from start to finish um, in a coherent way, but the drafts when you go from start to finish with a coherent plan are going to be the ones where you're going to get the best results. And this is important for uh, the concept of forcing, because if you come up with a coherent plan before you start a draft, and if you know that this coherent plan has actually a large percentage chance of success, 
you can basically get the best possible outcome of a draft most of the times you start it without um, uh, paying attention to the uh, to the packs just focusing on your uh, on your things and i did it quite a lot in um, bot drafts beforehand uh, for example in eldraine i was first picking any red commons really and i was drafting mono red decks and with amazing success you know like probably around 50 60 percent trophy rate uh, because bots in Eldraine were not picking red high enough and you could make this super aggressive deck that was uh, based on a cheap creature lots of seven dwarves uh, lots of uh, barrages the, the the plus two plus two and gives trample uh, combat trick on attacking and those decks were really really strong and i knew that i can force it almost any time and sometimes i just noticed oh there's something wrong red is not happening and then i just which to uh, either mono white or mono blue uh, artifact synergies and, and I was doing this instead and also with pretty decent uh, results. So if you start with a plan that you know you can enforce, you can actually get a much higher win rate. The problem is finding the plan that you can enforce. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And what are the pros, what are the cons and what are the possibilities of doing such a thing? So first of all, forcing what I don't like about it is the name. It is a very negative term. When I think about forcing, I, nothing pleasant comes into mind. And I think that because of the term and because of the use of language, it's a bit vilified and treated a bit unfairly. I think that forcing is very essential in the early format uh, when we are still in the stage of the limited discovery. And it's never used, uh, the term forcing is usually not used when you do that in the early um, early days of the set. Usually you do, oh, I'll do it for science. And that sounds much better. But it is essentially forcing. You open a strange build around rare and you start drafting uh, around it and then basically trying to force a deck that will utilize this rare very well. Um, <clears throat> and forcing is also treated like something, well, if you cannot draft, you force. But I think that actually forcing is a very difficult strategy to master and i will give you a couple of examples of players who who, who do sort of forcing strategies quite frequently uh, and they are not bad players it's just you can force mindlessly and that's a possibility and you can force with a um, deep understanding of the format and these are the completely two different sides of the same coin right so forcing is not a black and white term there are shades of gray. There is hard forcing, and hard forcing is very, very difficult in human drafts, but it's possible. Uh, a very good example is LSV, who was uh, hard forcing blue-black in the beginning of the Midnight Hunt, because blue-black was so open that he knew that, you know, if you do 20 drafts, probably 18 of them, I will end up with a very good blue-black deck, and he was doing that. But it was because he knew that humans are did not catch up with the which cards are good in the format, and he already did and he could abuse that um, uh, situation to his own benefit. However, hard forcing can be pretty abusable with bots. And I will touch on why is it uh, more likely to do with bots um, than with humans. Um, and if you're doing it with humans, it would be good if you have a completely different pick order than the rest of the table. Uh, so very often, weird build around decks were the ones you could force because you knew that you were going to get all the important pieces of your puzzle uh, quite late. Um, 
And examples was maybe Dovin Acuity deck and um, uh, Ravnica Allegiance, where people were not on it initially. And the first people that figured it out, they went on the GP or a Pro Tour even, and uh, they did exceptionally well in the limited portion because they were com- drafting in a completely different game because they were picking cards that no one was interested, like Clear the Mind. And, and Dovin's Acuity was actually also not considered like super strong. They figured out how to build a deck, what were the important pieces of it, and most importantly, figured out very important pieces of it that were super underdrafted, and they could abuse that strategy to the great result. And I'm pretty sure it was the same case with the um, first people that figured out uh, spider spawning decks. Uh, it was the case with Ryan Sachs when he started drafting the uh, whatever unblockable one two in Amonkhet. And there are several uh, other cases in the history of limited magic where people figured out a niche deck that used underutilized cards um, and they could uh, pilot it to great success. I think that um, Kyle Rose, aka the Hum TV, did it as well with the red blue archetype in Terrors Beyond Death. Uh, he was forcing it soft, uh, but he was getting there quite a lot of times because he knew which cards are important and those cards were slightly underdrafted in that format as well. So there's also this thing called sort of soft forcing. And this is like forcing that is dependent on the first few picks. You have several plans ready before the draft, but before you decide on the plan, you want to see your first few picks. If you get a couple of um, important pieces for a particular archetype, you can jump on it because you know already, okay, I have a guarantee of having those three picks that fit my plan, I can continue with that plan. But you also know that there will be pieces available so you can commit to it very quickly because the knowledge of how the metagame is um, looking, what people are picking, lets you know that, okay, I will get on average two of this card still in the packs that are uh, re- that remain to be open. And um, these are key cards for my deck. So. Uh, I just have to be not unlucky that those cards are not open on the table, basically. And this also requires knowing your deck plan beforehand and possibly having several forcing plans at the same time. Uh, But you will use some information from the packs um, before you commit to a particular archetype. Okay, so first of all, forcing is not a mindless thing. And this is like something that, again, language is very important in in, in those things. I think that when people think forcing, it's like, oh, it's like forcing the door. You don't know how to unlock it with with skill, so just like brute force it. And even the term brute forcing uh, doesn't require any kind of, you know, intellectual capability. But forcing in limited should require quite a lot of uh, thinking activity if you want to do it correctly, in my opinion. So first of all, you need to scout the limited metagame and you need to really know it. Second of all, you need to have builds that are at least on the conceptual stage quite ready in your head, how they should look like. Uh, Third of all, combine those two things and know which builds are readily available and which ones are not. Because the fact that you have a good build uh, of a particular archetype, but uh, it will never get there because it relies on cards that are highly picked by other people, it doesn't give you anything in terms of like capability of forcing. Yes, I know that I want this deck, but this deck will never be open. So why would I even be bothered trying to force it? Um, fourth part is mentally map priorities in the deck. 
and this is super important and probably undervalued. In particular decks, you should know which cards are absolutely essential. And even if those cards are weaker, let's say you open a good removal and a key card for your deck. If you want to build a particular build and that card is a priority, you should pick it over that uh, removal because plan is more important than the power of the cards when you do things like forcing. Those decks should be really plan-based decks and not the decks that just contain good cards because you cannot guarantee uh, getting past good cards because people know what good cards are and bots are programmed to pick really good cards. So instead of that, you should focus on the decks with a significant plan and quite a lot of synergy and those decks will be more likely open um, in any format and you can uh, think about them. And <clears throat> and the last part, again, reiterate and apply this map of the deck that you have to the pick orders and, you know, maybe adjust the plan based on the availability of a particular card. Uh, we're going to be talking about it later as well, but um, say if you have a plan of drafting blue-red and you figure out that the uh, steal a creature effect is available, you can have any number of copies that you um, can possibly get, that can be a pretty strong um, game plan. So you might think of sacrifice outlets. Are there any sacrifice outlets? Maybe I should also prioritize them in the hope that I will get those um, uh, steel, uh, steel um, creature spells. And then if I can sack them, it sort of acts as a removal. And if I get a sack effect, it gives me some kind of a bonus. So uh, you might think about those things. And we'll be talking about other examples of that uh, as we look at the data. So first of all, scouting the meta. And this is the data from um, from best of one uh, human drafts from yesterday. So should be relatively fresh. And uh, you can see that archetypes in uh, Crimson Vow are not drafted equally. Ragdos is drafted 17.7% of the time by the 17 lands users. Uh, and that's quite a lot. That would mean that there is at least one uh, black red drafter per pod on average, if not more of those. That means that probably this archetype is not a good place where you want to start forcing because it's heavily contested already. So you will not get uh, those good cards on the wheel unless you're drafting some kind of a really oddball version of it uh, that relies on cards that no one else wants, which is quite unlikely. But even if you do, you still have a chance of not seeing those cards because uh, people will just pick them because, oh, I don't want to send black signals or red signals. And the same goes with them, uh, Demir, Azorius, and Gruul. These, these decks are quite highly drafted, especially with Demir. It's highly contested and it has a pretty low win rate, which is a combination, um, which is a combination that um, you don't want to use for forcing. First of all, you are drafting a deck that is potentially weaker, and um, second of all, it is contested. So weak contested deck, that's not a good uh, place for forcing. Uh, but if you look at the latter half of it, we have Izzet, we have uh, Selesnya, we have Boros, Golgari, and Simic. And I think that these decks are already starting to be pretty decent um, targets for, for, for thinking about um, um, thinking about should I force it or not. Uh, and if I look at the win rates there, I, I see that Izzet and Boros are, are, are also quite high win rate decks. Um, uh, so uh, I might think about those two. And I see that Simic is super underdrafted. So uh, uh, even though it has a low win rate, 
it's super underdrafted. So if you can come up with a supreme plan of how to draft Simic, you might get there because uh, the cards that you're interested in, if they are going to be not super highly uh, contested, you'll get them and you are very likely to get all the multicolor things in that color combination. So, um, uh, so uh, if you have a consistent plan for, for Simic, you might get there because it won't be super heavily contested. Um, and then is it is slightly more drafted than, than the other decks that are in the tail end, but it has a higher win rate. So maybe when you're thinking about forcing is it, you might think, okay, I can force is it, but red is pretty strong. Red is pretty highly drafted. Um, I might want to come up with a plan of using the cards that no one else wants. And um, I'm not saying that it does exist, but at least that's how you should start the approach of what can I potentially force in the format. So scouting the meta. Second part is building the skeleton. So figuring out your plans. So uh, you can find out good, but under drafted cards, you can figure out where they are, the, uh, they are at their best. You build theoretical decks and you can test them. Uh, and you know, you can do it twofold. You can just build deck skeletons and have a mate of yours or uh, well, a friend in general play you with their build and then see what are the strengths, weaknesses of those decks, what is missing, uh, what you can supplement them. Uh, analysis paralysis says that I think Sam Black said that three of the top Simic cards are red burn spells. It's true, but those um, splash cards being on top of common list for particular decks um, might indicate other things that you should take into account. Like, for example, if you splash red and in, uh, uh, in blue-green, it might be that you also have Halana Alena, which will make the deck much stronger, which will increase its win rate, which will sort of bump up um, the performance of the red uh, burn spells. I think that, you know, there, there, there are also... Uh, the episode of uh, Sam Black's on, on Simic was actually fantastic. And I think that his plan for the heavy creature deck um, um, utilizing the underdrafted cards was exactly what I'm talking about. Although he doesn't force those things. And I think that, you know, there is just not, no, not a strong enough case for forcing uh, Simic in human draft. But, you know, maybe maybe there is a strong enough case for, for forcing um, Simic decks in uh, with bots. We're going we're gonna to look at that. The important part when you are testing the uh, testing those decks is to try to find what are the priorities because this is the moment when you can actually figure out this card is absolutely essential for me and I really need to you uh, prioritize picking it um, especially if it's not going super late because if it's going if, if it's going super late you can sort of hope to wield them but if the card is essential for for the functioning of your deck you cannot um, uh, really take that risk. So you rather lose a better pick, but have the key elements of your deck in place. Like, for example, you really needed to pick Clear the Mines a bit early later in the format in the Ravnica Allegiance, because you knew that some people might pick it. And without Clear the Mind, the deck was not really operating. So you really wanted that uh, one or two copies of that card. Um, so then you need to pre-assess the availability of uh, the deck. And First of all, the statistic you want to use from 17 lands, and as always, all the data that I'm using is from 17 lands. Uh, I would highly recommend to use it to anyone that still doesn't. And I would highly recommend to take a look at data yourself most of the time. Because playing with data, even if you're a bit clueless in the beginning, makes you a better in 
interpreting data and makes you a bit better in magic uh, over the long time. And, you know, there's plenty of people on Twitter uh, or discords that you can ask about uh, particular doubts that you're having about the data. Uh, ALSA is the average uh, last seen as measure. And it means that if, if a card has ALSA of one, you only see it in the pack that you open. If it has ALSA of three, you on average see it as pick three. Now, sometimes you will see it on a pick four, as a pick four, sometimes it's a pick two, but uh, on average you'll see it as, a, as pick three as a last thing. So this is a card that will be picked relatively early, so uh, you won't see too many of them. And if it has also of over eight, you probably will see most of the ones that are opened um, uh, in the whole draft. And this is a very important thing because it tells you how many of the card you will see on average per draft. Um, then you can look at the current data of those cards because ALSA is updated daily. Um, if you look at the big tables on 17 lands, you see the generic um, average from, uh, from the whole format. But some of those values change over time. So some of the cards become more available as the draft format continues. Some of them become less available. It would be good to look at at least, you know, uh, the last week and see if there is a big difference between uh, the average and, 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 and what is currently happening. Because obviously you're going to be drafting now, so you want to have the values that are more representative to now. And then you can actually use that analysis to see which skeletons seem to be most open on average. Uh, yes, card like a nurturing presence in white blue is a good example of a card that will potentially be uh, quite open and uh, might be less open right now than it was in the beginning. So then you need to map the priorities. You already pre-assess them by building your skeletons, uh, but you need to play them, play around. I strongly recommend to watch particular people who are um, really good at um, at thought forcing decks or, or or drafting with super high preferences and two names that spring to mind is the four that i already mentioned and uh, ham tv uh, kyle rose is an expert in figuring out an archetype and then he just relentlessly trains it i think that ham streams are interesting uh once he finds a good archetype that he knows he can force he will just persistently do that and just smash people with it uh and you want to watch them because they will draw attention to the key cards for each archetype. Um, I did the, this approach a couple of times with HamTV. I watched uh, his streams and I saw what he tried to do. I was not sure which cards are absolutely essential. I watched a bit of more streams and I sort of figured it out uh, on for my own. And I started drafting it and with really good results because um, his builds are very coherent. He's like a, a weird example of a limited player that behaves more like a constructed player because his decks seem like they're constructed. And I don't know, he's got super good intuition. I'm not gonna tell you that um, you can become Ham, but you at least can uh, can copy, copy his approach to some extent. Uh, another part that you can actually is, uh, figure out is looking for weak spots, weak matchups, and based on those weak spots, sort of update your uh, strategy, especially if the weak matchups are the ones that you're going to be paired up uh, against quite a lot. Uh, so Zach, you're curious about what a good red-white skeleton looks like in Mature Vow. I actually have no answer to that question. Um, uh, I did not have a lot of uh, red-white drafts. Most of the time it was just like red-white good cards. I didn't go for a very particularly themed deck in there. So. Uh, 
I can see that uh, uh, there can be a version of uh, Red White that uh, bases itself on Kassik Flame Breather, but I just think that it's going to be a weaker one than the uh, Blue Red. And I can see that there is going to be a Red White Skeleton that uh, bases itself on, um, on uh, Nurturing Presence. But I still think that the White Blue deck uh, will be better um, to do so. So yeah, it's in this uh, awkward spot where um, it, it can sort of uh, utilize both uh, strategies, but um, it will be worse than the than the than the decks that the, those cards were sort of designed for. So boats and sails. I've been forcing fifteen land boros builds using flames and angers uh, with some good success. And yeah, I mean, I totally can see that happen. Like, I, I totally see that those decks can 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 be relatively open, and you will most of the time get uh, uh, everything blue white. But one of the problems is that uh, sorry, blue uh, white red. The only problem is that you know like white red has the probably poorest rare in in, in the multicolor rare slot. So uh, that's that's a bit of a bummer for it. So yeah, I mean, looking at those things, you can figure out several solutions to to um, to making those. Uh, archetypes more coherent and using the cards that are more available uh, because you find better plans over time and you try to adjust your plan to fit the, those cards uh, um, those cards that uh, that work Josh says that I just dropped RB it works and again I would like to quote a great man yes but you can also you probably can win with like 40 land decks or something having seen you play okay Pre-assessing availability. And again, we look at ALSA of key cards in your special builds and look at current data of those cards and see which skeleton seems to be most open on average. Um, so I, I talked about it a bit before, so there's no need of uh, dwelling deeper in it, especially as I'm going to give practical examples of those. And then you can, oh, well, well, well that, 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 okay, that, that's why I was talking about it before because I, I went back instead of forward. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm going to use bot draft today to, um, to do the practical session. And there are several reasons why bot drafts are better for this strategy than uh, human drafts. First of all, bots have a more predictable behavior. I think that initially, um, Arena had maybe few personalities of the bots, so they were super predictable. When you knew the Alsa, you knew exactly where you would get each card, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, because of that, you you could basically plan up your draft. And the only thing that uh, was changing your strategy or changing your results was what you opened in the pack, because you knew exactly where you're going to get particular cards, and and the people abused it quite badly. Uh, in several formats. Then they did recalibration of the bots. I think that right now they have slightly more personalities, but more personalities are not enough to do the same as you get with human drafts when you get a large variety in skill level, a large variety of preference, a large variety of drafting styles. Uh, so humans are basically more unpredictable and bots are more predictable. And this predictability gives you a reliable draft experience. and bot draft sort of uh, becomes a different game. Like I did play several bot drafts in uh, AFR and I used it as a sort of training exercise to uh, master drafting the red black. 
in AFR. Because first of all, Red Black was very open with the bots. You could got, get all the cards that you wanted um, from, the, uh, from the draft. And then I knew that uh, Red Black is really good, but there were several subtly different builds. And I was experimenting with more treasure-centric builds that uh, planned on, on, on dumping like a 6-6 six, six on turn 4. Uh, and make your uh, opponent sacrifice hopefully two permanents and win the game like that. Or some of them that were more like reliant on the steal and suck uh, uh, mechanics. And, and some of them, there were just value piles and they were very mid-rangey. And all of them were functionable, but I knew that I can do that because I knew that I have an particular cards are going to be always available for me. Um, another advantage about the bot draft is it's cheaper. Um, and it's predictable, so yeah, it's a great way of testing your skeletons, not only building them, but also testing what are the sort of uh, uh, pros and cons of, of particular builds. Uh, okay, so this brings me to the idea of stochasticity and determinism. And basically, this is the difference between bot draft and the human draft. So uh, stochastic process is a process that is driven by random effects, and you can analyze it and you can interpret it, but it's not very good for prediction because things happen randomly. So uh, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. And this is the thing that will happen very often in human draft. Human drafts, I can tell you what is the average of uh, people picking up uh, particular cards in, um, in a human draft, but on occasion you will find a particular drafter next to you that uh, does something differently uh, and your whole plan goes to the toilet because, uh, because of this unpredictable factor. And that's why drafting the hard way with humans is a very useful skill, because if your plan goes to the toilet, you sort of need to come up with a plan B, and drafting the hard way is the best possible plan B, because you are very flexible, open, and, and reactive to what the table gives you, and you end up with a, you know, maximizing the train wreck, basically. This is the way of uh, thinking about drafting the hard way, in my opinion. Uh, the other type of process is deterministic, and these are driven by non-random processes, uh, and it's possible to be both analyzed and it is very good in uh, being predicted by, uh, by, 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 by whatever maths. So both drafts are, so draft is a mixture of both of the processes. There are deterministic processes in it. So for example, Dreadfeast Demon is a bomb it will be taken early. You won't see it like late. This is deterministic. You can't hope to wheel a Dreadfeast Demon because that's never going to happen. It's as deterministic as can be, but there is a stochastic element to it. You know, maybe you are fed by two people that are fighting for a red-black and then you can't draft your red-black. Even if you're Josh, probably two people feeding you will be um, uh, too harsh to, uh, to draft red-black. And this is something that will happen randomly and you, in some tables it will, in some tables it won't. So you need to sort of try to assess that uh, and um, you can't predict it beforehand. You have to sort of become reactive to those things. But in general, bot drafts are more deterministic, human drafts are more stochastic when you look at it as a sort of spectrum of stochasticity and determinism. Okay, now we go to the numbers. So first of all, ALSA can be used to calculate how many copies of the card are you going to, on average, see in a draft. And here again, the difference between the bot draft and the human draft is that in the bot draft, this 
what you will see will be mainly driven by what you open in the pod because the bots are quite predictable. So if on average you will see 0.1 of uh, a given mythic uh, per, 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 per pod, um, uh, open 0.1 mythic per pod, this won't change by uh, being human or, um, uh, or human draft or bot draft. You will always see on average 0.1 and of course will be, you know, one in some drafts, zero in most drafts and two in very rare cases. With rares, it's the 0.3 rares are open for each rare uh, in 24 packs, which is a pod. Uh, and again, you will see like zero rares of the particular rare in most drafts. In some drafts, you will see one and in, um, in some you will, you will see two if you're lucky, maybe even three. Uncommons, it's uh, almost one, so 0.9 uncom of each uncommon is open uh, in a pod. Again, here, most of the pods will have one, some will have zero, and, and, and some will have two or three, but that will be a rare thing to happen. So, but you, you can sort of count on one uncommon being open. And then there is uh, 2.4 commons per, per pod open uh, of each common. And this will, again, vary two, three, four, one, zero. And, and this is based on, th th this will be all uh, based on luck because we don't know what is going to be open. And this is the most random part of the, of the forcing that sometimes you will have a very good forcing plan, very good uh, skeleton, but you just won't open anything that is good for you because just bad luck. And um, you, can't, um, you can't escape that. That's why you need plan B, even if you're, if, if you, even if you're forcing. So again, if an ALSA of a card is one, you will only see that card in the packs that you open. And there are some cards that have also of one. Basically, people see it, people pick it. And with bots, especially, there are cards that have also of exactly one, which means that the bots 100% of the time will pick it as their first pick. Um, so this means that you will only see it in three packs. And when you think about it in maths terms, if you see 0.1 of this mythic in 24 packs, you will see one eighth of that in uh, three packs. So basically you will see very, 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 very few of that mythic. So this will be only lucky if you open it um, because they will never be passed. So you have to, you know, be lucky to open them. Um, so example, yeah, you see three twenty-four, so one eighth of uh, 0.1 of ALSA, one mythics per pod or one eighth of 0.3 uh, of ALSA, one rares per pod. Now, if we ramp it up, if ALSA is two, you will see the card on average in the pack you open and the first pack that you're going to be passed. So you have six packs to see the card. And this, of course, will be in increase this to quarter of the uh, uh, quarter of 0.1 and quarter of 0.3 for the mythics and rares, respectively. And if ALSA is over eight, you will see on average all copies of the card opened in your pod. So if you see, um, you will see like 0.9 of the uncommon if the uncommon wheels on average or 2.4 average copies of a common per pod. And that's where exactly, but that's where the money is. So that these are the cards that you can sort of predict that you're going to see frequently in your draft. And if they're the cards that you can build around, you can plan your forcing strategy on that. You cannot plan it on the rares because you, very often will depend on whether they were even opened in your pod. And that happens, you know, 30 to 10% of the time, depending on, uh, on the rarity, but with commons and uncommons, you can sort of assume that you will get some of them. 
if they are going late because of the, you know, that they have a high ulcer. So um, this is what I did in terms of analyzing bots in the vow. I took the cards that have um, a game and hand win rate of over 55% as a sort of artificial cutoff, but it's around the you know, average win rate of uh, 17 lands players. So I, I took the cards that have an over, uh, over average performance. And then I looked at the ALSA and I sort of calculated for each. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, the important. This is not a generic game and hand win rate. This is, for example, a win rate of only white red cards. So if you can see white red cards, there are not so many of them um, uh, that have a win rate of over 55%. Um, that's why I could actually put it in for some other archetypes. There, were, there was a much longer list of cards. And then I used ALSA to calculate how many on average of, uh, of those cards you will see per pod, per, per draft. Um, so basically I calculated, okay, this is one roughly. So I'm going to see three twenty-fourths of uh, uh, times 0.3 of welcoming vampires. And then I did the same calculation for wedding announcement and blah, blah, blah. For all of these, I calculated sort of how many of them I see. And this is the result. So basically, for blue-red deck, I will see, on average, 39 cards in a draft that uh, have over 55% win rate uh, in this particular archetype. And white-red, as I said, the, I picked it on purpose to be, to be put on the first slide because it was the shortest list. I will only see 3.5 cards that have the win rate over 55%. So based on those numbers, it's much more likely that I can force uh, blue-red and it's almost impossible to force white-red. Eh, yeah, exactly. And, but, <clears throat> but at least those three those five archetypes, um, um, you will see quite, quite some few cards uh, available for them. Now, you have to think that seeing 39 cards doesn't mean that you can pick all 39 of them because some of them will be in the same pack and then is the art of what you should prioritize and what you should pick. So I will see an average of 40-ish uh, uh, blue-red cards for science, you see. Um, so you will see the 40 cards, but uh, some of them will be locked and packed with something else. And then you need to be, first of all, able to determine which is the one that is more likely to wheel if you are sort of split between uh, the two and you don't have a clear preference. And um, sometimes you will just have to look. I'll, I have to pick between those two cards because I'm not seeing the other one. So uh, which one is more important for my deck? That's where your uh, prioritization is so important. But with 39 cards, you have a decent chance of having 23 of them. Uh, if, you, if the pod goes slightly in your favor, you might have even like um, extras. So it looks to me like possibly uh, blue-red is an archetype that could be mm, forcible. And the same goes with white-blue. Um, uh, and as you can see, maybe may, uh, the answer is not, not so trivial uh, with others, but um, I'll try to look at it. Right. So cards are made not, cards are not made equal. Here I calculated the availability of all the cards that have 55% or more game and hand win rate for archetype. But some of those cards are super good and some of those cards are just like barely above replaceable. Uh, so first of all, I looked at uh, bombs per pod for each color combination. And bombs I defined as game and hand win rate of over 60%. Now, most of those cards are rares and mythics, but not all of them. Some of them are just very, very good uncommons. Uh, 
And <clears throat> uh, when you look at this metric, uh, the top five archetypes have a large amount of them. You will have on average one to two uh, uh, bomby cards per pod. While, if, while with those um, uh, less open archetypes, you will have very few of them. So basically, you're not guaranteed to see even, well, you're not expected to see even one of them. You will see maybe one per five drafts, maybe one per 10 drafts in case of uh, white red. So if you are interested in a deck with the high power level, obviously these are going to be the better targets because these will sort of, you, you expect to see one or two bombs basically defined as I defined them. And then the next category of the cards, and I think that's a very, very important category of the cards, is great playables per pod. And great playables I defined as having game and hand win rate of 58 to 60%. Uh, these are top commons and uh, very good uncommons and some, some rares. So uh, <clears throat> as you can see, um, four of the five archetypes that I told you maybe are forcible have a decent amount of those cards, like 11, 8 to 11 um, of those solid playables per pod, while blue-black actually has a very low number. What does it mean? Uh, and you will see that in the next slide, uh, that blue-black has a lot of available uh, cards on the, um, on the uh, just above replacement level. Uh, and other archetypes, pretty low numbers, so uh, they are either not open or they are open, but with like a mediocre level of power. Uh, and as I told you, the fact that blue-black did not have uh, any of those great playables, it means that it has a lot of playables. And this probably means that you can force a blue-black deck, but it's not going to be anything spectacular. It's just going to be a lot of cards, but they're going to be uh, bad, unless you can make a superior plan of drafting blue-black in this format. Um, I would probably stay off it because it doesn't have those uh, strongest cards available in such amounts as, as, as the other four archetypes that I told you. With the other four good archetypes, you can see around 26 to 20 uh, solid playables, um, which should be enough to make a deck, especially that you know that you have already those 10 decent uh, uncommon or uh, very good common level cards and that you uh, have one to two uh, bomby kind of things. So these four definitely look like something that you might be interested in forcing. I would probably be careful about uh, doing the same with blue black, just because the most of the cards that are available are low power level. And these, especially white red, I mean, white, white red looks atrocious to, to, to be forced in, in, in the bot draft, which probably means that if we do the when we do the practical, um, we're just gonna have like, wide open uh, white red just to spit in my face and, and, and disprove all the numbers because that's how life operates. So <clears throat> let's go from cards to decks. And this is, these are the lists of, uh, of, of, of cards that are you know, like at, at level where I can expect to see them uh, in, in several archetypes. This is blue, uh, blue white. And the key cards that you will always get are Nurturing Presence and Cradle of Safety. You will get all the copies that you want, and those cards have a decent uh, win rate. Like Nurturing Presence is uh, approaching 59% um, game and hand win rate. And you will have access to every single one of them that you opened. Like sometimes you might, you might, you will probably need to gamble and, and try to wheel it, 
but you know that the bots are not super keen on it. So uh, it's likely to wheel at least if you open it in your pack. Uh, and if you see it pack three, then you have to start thinking how crucial is that nurturing presence because you don't have a guarantee of it being wheeled. But not having guarantee doesn't mean that it's not possible that it won't wheel. Uh, another card that you almost get is Cradle of Safety, but that might be a bit of a less of a, a priority, but you know that you have access to it and you know that maybe you don't want to play two, two three of them, but, uh, but, probably, um, uh, but probably you might, uh, you might want one of those, uh, especially if you have some other cards that will work well with that. And then we have like some, uh, you know, above replacement commons, you have Syncopate, you have Steelclad Spirit, Siphon Essence, uh, Evolving Wilds, uh, you will have access to those if you need to. Um, here is another good card that uh, you will have a decent um, chance of getting for your deck, Scattered Thoughts, um, and another bunch of uh, 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 replaceable commons and Kindly Ancestor and Stitch Assistant. You will get on average 1.4 Traveling Ministers, which is a good news because you know you can sort of count at least getting one because bots are not drafting it highly enough and uh, that's like a solid card and the same goes with uh, lantern bearer you, you should be able to get one if you uh if you prioritize them uh, uh correctly you might also get one cigardas imprisonment so you get like several of those uh, important cards and you know there will be some variance between them between the pods maybe you know you're if you're sitting in a pod that opened six nurturing presents you can get six nurturing presents now can you make a deck with six i mean i would try and by the way, yes, uh, Mercurio, I'm going to make an exception and say hi to you because uh, because you're a good person. So yes, I shouldn't be talking about uh, highs in the chat, but I will make an exception for Mercurio. Um, one card that is important to know, Heron of Hope, um, uh, you don't see that many of them. So you see 0.8, which is roughly a third of them, which means that it goes pretty early. The bots don't let you see too many of them. So if you're planning on life uh, synergies, probably bot draft is not a very good place to do so because uh, because you don't see all the herons of hope and you probably won't, won't have multiples. And then here we are approaching the level where you can see those uh, uncommons that are a bit more open than the others. Brandcomer, you will see around 0.5 of them per draft, which means that... Uh, they go to pick four, pick five. You can reliably get them pick four, pick five. So that's important. But they probably won't be wheeling very often. Uh, same goes like Bruno Rejection, uh, Fleeting Spirit, Panic Bite Standard. All these things like sort of go like pick, pick, pick three, four, five, I would say, uh, where you can get them. So that means that you know uh, at least get um, uh, oh, maybe even more. Yeah, four, four, is, four, four sounds good. Four, four times three, well, 24. Uh, four times three, twelve. So uh, half of twenty-four. Yeah, that's that's roughly this. Maybe even five in in case of Brian Comer. Well, Zach, you wanted you're complaining that you're iced, but I heard you speculating about trying to bamboozle me into some kind of plot. Should I acknowledge that? No. Um, and uh, you know the rest is um, uncommons that you probably have to prioritize and pick relatively early. And it's slightly easier because uh, most of the time you won't have a cho choice between this and a rare because uh, bots are quite aggressive on rare picking. Uh, so that's the blue-white. Then I have uh, black-red. And black-red is relatively open, but it's not open 
in the way that um, sometimes it is open in uh, human drafts. So, for example, you will see very few of the flameless bolts in the braids and bleed dries. Um, you will see a lot of Vildaran epicures. You will get a lot of uh, undying malice, which is an interesting thing to um, uh, to consider uh, uh, to consider uh, in designing your build. Because if undying malice is always available, maybe you can build a deck that actually utilizes it very well. You get wedding invitation, uh, uh, plug, shameless plug. I was a guest on the mythical uh, mystical dispute podcast, and we were talking about wedding invitation uh, exactly, um, and the strengths and weaknesses of the card. I was replacing uh, uh, two that cubed uh, as the host because, uh, well, he was not well or something. But uh, and then they were so desperate that they reached out to me. Um, but it's like a good 15 minute episode, so uh, I give it a listen. Um, so other cards you see, Rugged Recluse, you will get access to quite a lot of them. So if you can plan your deck to you know, reliably turn it into a 3-3, three, three, um, you might think about it. Uh, you will get a lot of pointed discussions, which, um, which is good to know again. Uh, you get more Diagraph Scavengers than uh, Falconer Celebrants, so um, uh, this should maybe inform you how you should draft. Blood Grace Socialite, but these cards are like solidly available. You should you should be able to get like uh, roughly you know uh, three or four combination of Diagraph Scavengers, Socialite, and Celebrants uh, if you want. Well, weirdly, Sigarda's Imprisonment is a, a, a powerful card in uh, in in uh, Black Red. Yeah, I'm always happy, uh, Josh, to, to to go on your podcast. Last time it was just like a stupid misunderstanding with my, with between me and my software that uh, prevented me. But I'm almost always available. <laughs> almost. Um, <clears throat> so the important part here, I think, is that um, you can count on sort of like two removal cards uh, in your decks from those uh, super efficient removal package, uh, which is not a mighty amount. But you will almost get all the sanguine statuettes that are open, which is important to know if you want to plan something around that, like blood heavy kind of aggressive, uh, aggressive deck. Um, Hero's Downfall is almost as available as uh, Bleed Dry is. So the bots are prioritizing it much less than Hero's Downfall, which is uh, than, than Bleed Tribe. Uh, because, of course, we're talking about comparing a common, which you should have 2.4 copies, with an uncommon that you have 0.9 copies. So uh, this is over. you will see over a half of Hero's Downfalls and only oh, uh, under a third of uh, Bleed Tribes. Uh, same goes with Vampire's Vengeance. You will see more than half of those. And you will see more than half of Blood Tithe Harvesters. So... Uh, this package is quite interesting because if you're on a slightly luckier side of the variance, you can get quite a lot of those. Weirdly, Bramble Worm is a high win rate card in uh, red black, but people splash those, so you know. Um, and then you have yeah, Wandering Mind, same, weird, but uh, I took the cards without any kind of prejudice, so I took every single copy of whatever. Um, and you get like a decent amount of Ballista Watchers and Alluring Suitors as well. Maybe not more than a half, but around a half uh, or just under a half. So you can count on those cards. And um, and then again, Rending Flame, Parasitic Grasp, you will see a roughly third of them. So I think that <clears throat> this one requires a bit luck if you want to force it. But the good part is that if 
that bit luck comes in your first two picks and you have first two really, really solid picks for the uh, black red archetype, you know that you're going to get just enough in the in the rest of it um, uh, to um, to build a good deck, because and you have to think about it when you when you first let's say you you first pick um, uh, uh, rending flame and then you second pick uh, I don't know um, bell stinger uh, you have all two two of those cards it still means that you have like a chance of seeing at least a quarter of a Felstinger and a quarter of a Rending Flame. So like in 50% of the drafts, you're going to get at least one of them still because you only saw two packs. And of course, what you open is not determined by what you open before. These are independent, uh, uh, independent events. So you will still have a good chance of seeing those cards, like almost as good as, uh, as before the draft was started. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. And the last one is um, um, red blue, and here, like the cards that are doing well, that you have access to, is bloody betrayal, alchemist, alchemist's retrieval, and cradle of safety. Now, these are the cards that you probably don't want to load your deck with, except maybe for bloody betrayal if you have a right build. But it's good to know that you have access to a lot of them. And then you get like Voldara Epicure, Wedding Invitation uh, in, 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 in decent amounts. You get access to four counter spells. So if you think about a sort of tempo deck that will make a one drop, two drop, protect yourself with counters. Well, Voldara and Epicure, one drop, then any two drop really, uh, preferably Classic Flame Breather. And then you can start protecting with the counter spells because you will have access to a lot of them because you have the Syncopate, Siphon Essence, you have the Geistlight Snare. Um, um, uh, the other one is almost always wheeling the, the three mana. Um, uh, uh, the, the three mana uh, uncommon counter spell. But sorry, I'm going to catch up with the chat. If you put this. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to be talking about that a bit later what to do because bots are stealing removal. But um, okay. Uh, you will see around two Ancestral Angers. Per draft, the card has an absurd uh, win rate for for what it does. So uh, definitely, I wouldn't sleep on them. And of course, average of two means that sometimes you will see four because you will see almost all of them that are open in the packs. So uh, uh, it's a it's a good strategy to plan around ancestral anger. And you will also see quite a lot of Cassic uh, flame breathers. So uh, the Cassic flame breather plan is also available. So you can think about those two plans and then supplement them with those super uh, uh, open cards. And then you have like uh, decent things like scattered thoughts. Uh, you can probably easily get a copy of and probably that's how much you want of it. You have a fearful villager. If you want to play the tempo game, they're good on the play. Children grave, a very good tempo card. Uh, you have sufficient lantern bearer capacity that, that you can count on them. Falcon Rest Celebrants, you should also be able to get one. The problem is uh, with the interaction in terms of Flameless Bolt and Upraid. So that makes the Alchemist Retrieval with a decent win rate and an interesting option because maybe instead of removal, you can use the tempo removal and you will have access to something that other people don't have. And the same goes for the Childergrave, which is if you're playing the right version of tempo, Tapping it for two turns might be just enough, as good as a removal. Um, and, um, you know, 
again, you have a good chance of getting both Vampire's Vengeance and Lunar Rejection, which are both, I think, good good spells for the for the deck if if you build it right. Um, and yeah, Thirst of for Discovery, you will see roughly half of it. Um, and one thing that I would like to stress here is Diver's Cub is also relatively late. It's a good card. And, uh, well, this is not super perfect with Bloody Betrayal because it costs a lot. But if Bloody Betrayals are open, you might start thinking about the blue exploit creatures as a potential for uh, uh, steal and suck uh, capacity. And then you have those really good um, uncommons that you will be able to get at least, you know, one copy per every three of them, basically based on the numbers. So uh, if you have uh, Whispering Wizard, Storm Chaser, Drake, Rending Flame, there's a good chance you will see at least one of them in the draft. So you can count on at least having some part of it. And maybe if you're lucky with the variants, you're going to be able to get it. Um, so of the decks, I gave you the example. I skipped the uh, white-black um, just for the uh, clarity of the plan. But basically, the two of the uh, three decks are blue, and two of the three decks that I looked at are red. So this is an idea that I just like very briefly had based on this data. I'm going to start forcing blue-red, but my backup plans will be sw switching to uh, white-blue or black-red, depending on the important cards that I'm going to see. Like, as I told you, bots are cutting the removal quite uh, efficiently. So if removal is in short supply, I think that the value of Cradle of Safety is, uh, is, is way bigger because people will really depend on that one removal piece uh, that they have. And if I can Cradle of Safety it or Undying Malice it if I'm playing black, um, that might be a decent plan. Um, there is availability of uh, all the copies of Bloody Betrayal that are going to be open. So maybe Blue Exploit gets a slight boost in my pick order, because if I can pick a couple of uh, Blue Exploit creatures and I get like late Bloody Betrayals, that can be an additional plan for the deck. And Nurturing Presence is a very strong card in Blue-White, so if I'm going to see late one of those, uh, I will try to pick them. Now, this is the end of the theory session. I'm going to start now um, my arena and I'm going to jump into a bot draft. Um, and we're trying to, you know, apply this plan and see how far it takes us. Uh, but before that, I would like to thank the 17 Lance team for the uh, support while I'm still on the presentation part. Uh, Viral Misnomer, Hululu, Grant Wu, uh, uh, all amazing people that uh, make the 17 Lance run. And I would like to fa thank fake Jake Brown, um, also Uncle Cardboard, uh, who was in the chat earlier, who did this awesome logo for the uh, podcast version of this uh, seminar that will hopefully appear soon. And for the podcast listeners, um, I will stop here. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the draft portion, it's available still as my Twitch VOD. And it will be uploaded also on YouTube um, so we can watch the draft portion and see how uh, the strategy worked in real life. But thank you for uh, listening and hopefully you can give me a subscription. Um, follow me uh, for the next episodes that should also appear in this audio format. I know that this is not a perfect version uh, of a podcast for the audio because I rely a lot on the visual cues. So if you are missing something, you can catch up on bits of it also in the video version. Thank you very much.